Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The parliamentary budget officer, Yves Giroux, is back with us. Mr. Giroux, good to talk to you. How are you? I'm good, thanks. And you? I'm just, I'm just doing great. Uh, people, as soon as I said you were going to be in the, on the air with us, it all started immediately. The email started, so who's going to bite the beer? I, I'm trying to forget that, but... Uh... <laughs> Well, it seems we're a long way away from uh, buying beer and having a face-to-face conversation. Yeah. But hopefully, maybe in the spring. Yeah, maybe in the spring. Early summer. So here we are. Once again, we're being overtaken by a, by a um, the COVID variant, Omicron. And you told us last year that the federal government could afford to spend as much as it did on pandemic support payments to individuals and base, uh, businesses, but only once, only for one year. Now we have the finance minister preparing to spend significantly again, and we have this Omicron variant to deal with, and who knows uh, what that may uh, entail as far as support for Canadians is concerned, financial support. Where's the ceiling, Monsieur Giroux, on federal government support spending now, or has it been reached and maybe exceeded? It's a very good question. It's a moving target, in fact. It's a bit like the virus itself. There's no clear and definitive answer to that because you have countries that have much higher level of debt than us. Take Japan, for example. And nobody is worried about Japan's capacity to service that debt. Uh, financial markets certainly are not. But you have countries like Greece who have much lower, had much lower levels of debt than Japan and financial markets panicked, or Portugal or Spain, where there was uh, significant concerns from financial markets. So it's, a, it's not an easy answer to, to provide, in part because it's all relative. So if everybody is increasing its level of debt, what are financial markets to do? Punish everybody at the same time? Possibly. But then who would they lend their money to? So that's a difficult question. And in that sense, we're not significantly standing out compared to other countries. If you look at the U.S., for example, they have been spending uh, at a very rapid pace, and they've increased their level of debt, and they started from a, a worse position than we did. So that's why in Canada it's not worrying yet. But the concern that exists is that if governments continue to spend when it's not absolutely necessary, there's a risk that it will fuel inflation. So we are seeing that, and it's in part due to other phenomenon, but also in part due to um, in government intervention. So if the government was to continue to intervene at the massive rate we saw last year, that would be problematic. Mm. What are your concerns? You mentioned inflation, and that is something we, of course, all are keeping a very close eye on, and it's affecting uh, Canadians. My, my line has been... Pardon me, my line has been, uh, inflation is what you encounter if you're stopping for gas on the way to the grocery store and you can't afford to fill up at either place. So Mm -hmm. how concerned are you and how does inflation impact on your um, work and and your directive 
and that is keeping the parliamentary budget in order. How, well, how much does it complicate your life? It doesn't complicate my life a lot. Uh, it's one variable that we have to take into consideration, which we always did. But previously, prior to the pandemic, it was easy. Inflation was expected to be between one and a half and 2.2 percent year in, year out. Uh, now, wow, it's moved upwards of 3% and upwards of 4%, and it's nearing 5% now. So it's one variable that's changed, but it's not making my my job more difficult. It could be making, it is making life more difficult for Canadians, that's for sure, when the price of things go up. But with respect to my job, it's not that more much more difficult. And in fact, for government, it's making the government's life easier. If you think about inflation for a government's perspective, if the price of everything goes up, then the tax revenues they collect goes up as well. If you think of the GST, for example, yeah. and the, the real value of their debt goes down because uh, if inflation is higher than expected, they are financing their debt at still very low levels. That doesn't take into consideration inflation of 4 and 4.7%, for example. So the real interest rate on a 10-year government bond is negative because the government is financing that at, let's say, 2% or less. Inflation is much more than that. So the real burden of the debt uh, decreases when there's strong inflation, which was the opposite problem in Japan. They had deflation for several, several years. So even a stable debt uh, increased in real terms because of deflation. The fiscal update... Uh, and then it's morphing into uh, a federal budget to come. We went more than two years without a federal go- a budget in this country, and I know that concerned you. We talked about that. So mm-hmm. when you look at the fiscal update, what was your response to that? What's your reaction to what the finance minister delivered? Well, my response to that uh, will come in, like formally. We'll have a report on that. Uh, but my immediate response, reaction rather, was that it's it's a nice nice piece to put to put out uh, two weeks before Christmas or slightly less than two weeks before Christmas or the holidays. Uh, but it paints a rather incomplete picture, and that is on one side to be expected. For example, it does not include the campaign promises that the Liberals made, and they made for over $53 billion promises net. So if you include on the one the expenditures, the additional expenditures, and you subtract the tax increases they had in their platform, on a net basis, it's $43 billion over a number of years. So when people look at the update and they say, wow, it's looking good, we're going towards a $13 billion deficit in 2026-27, things are improving significantly, so we could be close to balanced budget in five years' time. So things are really going looking good. But that does not include any of the campaign commitments. So when the the government tables its budget in the spring, you can expect these numbers to be significantly different because that's where the government, hopefully, or or not, depending on your point of view, will announce its plan for the foreseeable future and will start to implement its uh, campaign commitments. So that was a, a a big disappointment, so to speak, to see that people are looking at this picture as of now, not taking into consideration what the, the Liberals have promised to do once they would be re-elected. Yeah. There's a difference between a political document and a political province, uh, promise, of course, or 
an expectation. Now, mm-hmm. th- th- there was Bill C-2, an act to an act to provide further support in response to COVID-19. And last week, this past week, the finance minister um, argued that the cost would be $7.4 billion. I spoke with uh, our previous guest about this earlier today, Tom Korski from uh, Black Locks Reporter. And then just minutes after the, um, after the parliament adjourned for Christmas, the finance minister revealed that, oh, the costs are going to be 61% higher to a total of $11.9 billion. So we go from $7.4 billion disclosed to minutes after parliament adjourns for Christmas to $11.9 billion. That's $4.5 billion. And it gets me wondering, and had Mr. Korsky wondering, whether $5 billion, which used to be a lot of money, was a massive amount of money for the Canadian government. It was it would be half of our deficit on a bad year. It doesn't seem to, to matter that much. Do you have concerns about just about the, the numbers of billions, or it seems casually, billions are spent upon billions upon billions? Totally. And one of my, my staff, staff members yesterday said, it seems these days the government doesn't even get out of bed for a billion. Uh, and that struck me as probably accurate. Nobody seems to bother when it's less than a billion. So we are collectively looking at numbers casually. If it's not at least a billion, it's virtually nothing. And it is a lot of money. So you're referring to $5 billion. Well, the government asked parliamentarians to approve over $20 billion of spending in just a few weeks in the very short fall session without providing them the number, the deficit number for the year that finished at the end of March 2021, so this year. So eight and a half months after the end of the fiscal year, the government finally decided to tell parliamentarians how much the deficit amounted to last year, but in the meantime had tabled documents, bills, seeking authority to spend almost $20 billion. So it seems they don't really care about informing parliamentarians before they ask them to to vote and to vote on spending. And look at the sequence of events. So the Auditor General signed off on the public accounts, so the document in question for the deficit figure, on September 9th. She had to reopen the books because the government wanted to uh, uh, add a liability for First Nations children. And finally, the minister responsible for Treasury Board, Madame Fortier, she signed off on the final document at the end of November. And it still took over two weeks for that document to be revealed public. In the meantime, parliamentarians were asked to vote quickly on these $20 billion of expenditure without knowing what was the deficit for the year prior. So transparency seems to be one of the casualties of COVID-19 these days. Yeah, we've become desensitized, I think, to what a billion dollars or five billion dollars really represents. It's more than a political tool. Uh, well, I can't, te- I can't tell you I'm not desensitized, but uh, uh, I'm like everybody else looking, at, uh, looking around and there doesn't seem to be as much concern as there would have been two years ago with the same type of uh, lack of transparency, to be polite. How surprised are you with this? Very surprised. Very, very, very surprised. Like my father-in-law calls my wife sometimes and he asks my wife, so, so has, uh, have you picked up Giroud from the floor yet? Is he still depressed? And yeah, I, it is depressing to see the state of accountability and transparency. It still surprises me 21 months after the start of COVID. 
Yeah. And I hope things will get better. I, I thought things would get better after the election, uh, and I'm hopeful that things will get better as uh, the spring arrives. Okay. I'm, I'm optimistic still. And that's with strong, independent institutions. I can only imagine what happens in countries with weaker institutions. Mr. Giroux, when it comes to the issue of federal program spending on housing affordability, you reported on that. What is, what's, the, what's the takeaway? What's the, the absolute takeaway on this? Well, the absolute takeaway is that it seems to rely a lot on provinces and territories to carry the burden of housing affordability. So it's a report that we tabled several months ago that looked at how much the government was spending on housing affordability and what it was doing to the number of units being either maintained or created. So we looked at both and we found that despite the government's uh, claims, it was not building as many as many units as it was claiming to do and not also not as many that were maintained that were affordable and the definition of affordability was uh, very elastic and not many people would agree with that definition so it was defined if i'm not mistaken as below the median uh, for the area in which the units were built but the median can be very high in cities like Toronto or Hamilton or Vancouver, for example. So if it's below the media, median, it doesn't mean that it is affordable. It's less expensive than what people are. You need to call him back. Clearly, we lost uh, the parliamentary budget officer. So is our telephone died again? I don't know. It's either you or I didn't drop a quarter in the machine. Uh, maybe it's me. Maybe the government doesn't like what I'm saying and they tried to cut me off. Well, they were successful. So, <laughs> so stop it. Sorry. <laughs> okay. No, I won't. No, I know you won't. I'm glad you won't. The need for Ottawa to spend more on First Nations water tre- treatment systems. You've spoken about that. And what we looked at was whether the spending that's already being promised and in the pipeline, whether that would be sufficient to reduce the number of First Nations water systems that are at high risk or medium risk of, um, of, of not providing clean water. And we found that the government is providing enough money, provisioning enough money for the infrastructure. Whether it goes to the right First Nations, that's another issue, but at least it has enough in the pipeline. Where there is um, less, less money is when it comes to operations and maintenance. There's a, there's a gap of, of about half of what would be needed. So there's, uh, the government is providing less money, and there's a gap of about 100, $140 million per year for the operations and maintenance. So overall, there's enough money, but it's not allocated in the right bucket. It's keen on building or, or, or yeah, building the systems, but it's less keen on their day-to-day, year-over-year operations and maintenance, which is uh, obviously critical for the provision of clean water to First Nations. And we've looked at 550 First Nation reserves, so it's data provided by the government itself. So we think it's rather reliable. We have 30 seconds. Can you, in 30 seconds, tell us what the takeaway, what, what's your greatest concern from 2021? My greatest concern is that there seems to be a desensitization about what the government is doing, a disinterest or just a sense of we've had enough with all this. And that's worrying me because it gives a free pass to politicians and to the government 
to do what they want as opposed to what Canadians need. For example, providing providing clean and accurate information to parliamentarians before asking them to vote. That's something that has um, been become less important, it seems, with the pandemic. Uh, providing accurate information to Canadians when it comes to big procurement projects. Mm-hmm. I reported on the cost of uh, DND, National Defense Ship, right. uh, and these the costs go up. I reported recently on the cost of polar icebreakers. The cost has gone up significantly. So okay. I'm concerned about that, that uh, laissez-faire, so to speak. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.